Well, we are six weeks into our sermon series, which will take us through the, uh, up to Holy Week. It has a, a direct message for our day, our culture, and our world. It's God's very clear call and comforting promise, fear not. In a day and age where there is much uncertainty and fear, we take our cue not from the winds and the waves, but from the one who controls them. Not from the fear within or without, but the one over all. And this is not just a mindset, but a set mind. Think of the phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Now, I've come to understand that better as I wrestle with new food allergies. Not, not that eggs and nuts are garbage, but to my body, they have garbage out results. Now, the same can be said for our minds. If we dwell on distractions or diversions or, or things that could cause fear, we may have garbage out results. As Todd and last week Rob have walked us through these questions that we might wrestle with in our minds, we trust that your soul takes encouragement being reminded that we need not fear our enemy, that we have spiritual security, and that we are not alone in this walk of faith. We do not fear what God is calling us to do, for we are equipped for every good work. And when all around us seems to give way, we remind our soul that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And each week we've drawn the same conclusion. Therefore, we will not fear. And this particular morning, we wrestle with a topic appropriate for today, love. And we understandably turn to the author known as the Beloved, as he calls us not to fear whether God loves us. So hear now God's word for us this morning from 1 John chapter 4, reading verses 13 through 19. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Well, having heard from the word of the Lord, let's turn to the Lord of the word in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we have gathered to worship, thankful for who you are, and amazed at who you've made us to be in Christ. As we turn now to your word before us, may it be that which renews us in grace, 
reminds us of mercy and restores to us peace. And Lord, reveal yourself to us through the proper proclamation of your word that we might hear from you at this hour. For we can only know you if you give yourself to be known. Speak to our hearts and into our lives through your spirit that we may know your love. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Well, there's a a conversational pattern that is often used when one doesn't like the direction of the discussion but cannot always come up with a reasoned response and so provides a dismissive statement. See if, if this sounds familiar. Not all truth is truth. Now, that's a phrase that one uses to shut down a conversation, not continue it. But it's not just used in philosophical conversations. I remember speaking with a big NASCAR fan who told me not all sports are sports while advocating for inclusion of driving in a circle as sport. And maybe you've had that thought as you've uh, found yourself at a museum thinking not all art is art. It's, It's even worked its way into our grocery stores for not all butter is butter. And while reading up for today, I've concluded that not all scholars are scholars. But John, in this letter, essentially refutes the dismissive assertion that not all love is love by providing a definition of perfect love, one founded on God. And he provides three building blocks. Perfect love abides in him. Perfect love is fearless by him. And perfect love loves like him. Now, in in case you wish to come up to me afterwards, let me beat you the punch and agree that not all illustrations are illustrations. Now, John, he builds on his argument of this perfect love in the only place, in the only foundation that's possible, and that's on God himself. And he declares it by this standard that we can know that we abide in him. In fact, John has already used the word abide 20 times in this letter. Well, George Bernard Shaw, in the early days of radio, uh, he spoke of the peculiarities of the English language. And in that presentation, he mentioned that there were only two words that are spelled with S-U, but pronounced shu. And someone challenged him by letter saying that there was only one, sugar. And Shaw wrote back with one line, Madam, are you sure? Now, assurance is of utmost importance, and nowhere is this more necessary than in spiritual matters. John moves from exhortation to affirmation. God wants us to know his love, that we are his. And because of this, we can know the hope that is ours in Christ, a sure and certain hope. But this is not always so easy to believe. Now, thankfully, in this case, human assurance does not depend on human ability, but on completed divine action and promise. In our unredeemed state, we are unable to believe and unable to love. And no amount of human faithfulness can counteract the judgment 
that human faithlessness deserves. But thanks be to God. For as redeemed men and women, God has given us his spirit who engenders belief and whose first fruit is love. Thus, belief and love are not the conditions required for indwelling, but the fruit and evidences of it. On our own, we cannot and will not ascend to belief nor reflect perfect love. John Stott says it this way, Only the Holy Spirit can enlighten our minds to believe in Jesus and warm our hearts to love God and each other. So believing and loving are evidences that his spirit is at work within us. And this is God's work. The God of love imparts himself to his people so that abiding within, we can abide in his love and in him. We understand that because God is love, wherever his spirit is active, the evidences will be seen in love. Where the life of God is at work, it sweetens bitterness, it melts hardness, and it multiplies love. But this abiding is more than just possessing the Holy Spirit, for John goes on to write that we see, testify, and confess Jesus as the Savior of the world. We have intelligently believed and believingly understood, but the standard is one that is more than mere head knowledge. It, it has an outward aspect for testifying and confessing is active, not passive. It, it's verbal, not just cerebral. It, it's external, not just internal. His love to us becomes love in us. And note what we confess. The doctrine of our declaration is Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Well, before moving on to his next point, John provides one more standard. We are to live in the love of God. And this love is not mere sentimentalism, for it's one we've come to know and belief. And John affirms abiding as more than doctrinal belief, but it has behavioral, ethical, and relational components as well that's lived out among a watching world. Howard Marshall summarizes it this way. He says, here then the three characteristics of the Christian emerge, possession of the Spirit, confession of Jesus as the Son of God, and living in the love of God. On this basis, there can be erected a firm foundation for Christian hope. But, but do note this distinction. In confessing our sins, we declare our unworthiness, but not our worthlessness. Sinful, broken, and fallen as we are, we are not worthy. Yes, we're known guilty but we're also known. For God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us and by his mercy use us for his own glory. Unworthy, but not worthless. And that's what the apostle means by confidence. He mentioned it in each previous chapter, but we specifically repeat verse 28 of chapter 2. 
And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. For God's redemption makes us blameless and pure, which leads us to our next building block. For having shown that God is the standard of perfect love, John goes on to say that God is the security for perfect love and that we thus are fearless by him. Now John has built his case for perfect love by laying the foundation and and that foundation provides confidence and security. This is not man-made but God promised. What a wonderful distinction. This is the gift of God and not by works. A works-based relationship with God will, will always feel like Sisyphus, striving and efforting and never making it to the top. I, I did have to look up how to spell Sisyphus, so let me share with you uh, another analogy more in my wheelhouse. It's like Charlie Brown approaching the football with high hopes, only to find himself flat on his back again and again. You know, that's the recipe for a relationship of fear. Always striving, never measuring up. Constantly worrying that the next misstep will take you tumbling down the mountain. Always looking over your shoulder or second-guessing yourself. Approaching each day in fear that some calamity will come as judgment or retribution. Waiting for someone to pull that football aside just at the last minute. For service in fear, is always on shaky ground. But that's not the case for the believer, for those who have been perfected in love. In our standing before God, even while remaining in this world, we are already called sons and daughters. We're born again. Thus, if Jesus called and calls God Father, so can we. And we share that confidence Jesus had before God. For those who have fellowship in the presence with God do not need fear that they will be judged unfavorably in the future. There is no judgment left in God for you. You are forgiven by the finished work of Christ. The punishment we deserve was borne by Christ. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. As a believer in Christ, we have the promised assurance of the only one that matters in matters of life and death. And so we have confidence that when before the throne, I stand in him complete. Complete, not by our doing, but by Christ. So we stand unashamed and without fear. For love perfected means terror and fear is banished from us by that perfect love within which the family of faith lives. John, in his gospel, quoted Jesus promising, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life, truly, has eternal life, not into judgment, death to life. 
What wondrous love is this? Calvin uh, remarks, we arrive at a calm rest outside fear by being aware of God's love towards us. For the love of God tranquilizes the heart so that we approach him confidently and cheerfully because we feel assured of his paternal love. At this point, it may help to bring the reality of our experience into the realm of our conversation. When we speak of paternal love, it's sometimes hard not to read our own history into the discussion, but, but this can lead to a minimizing or a misunderstanding. The model of parenting, either experienced as a child or displayed as a parent, can be dis- dis- transferred to God the Father. And wherever your father was on that scale, if that is your model, you can reduce God. For even the greatest earthly father falls short. For the believer, perfect love brings confidence when facing judgment. For fear is the characteristic emotion of someone who expects to be punished. But love? There is no fear in love. As someone who is forgiven and loved by the one who is the judge, we do not fear punishment. For God already forgave us in Christ. God loved us enough to send his son to die in our place and take the punishment that we deserved. There's nothing left to be paid. His gift to us, his loving of us, banishes fear, for we are assured as his children that we are his beloved, and thus cease to be afraid. Fear is a child in bondage. Love is a child in freedom. Now we do need to pause to make sure we're understanding John clearly. As God's child, you do not need to fear God's judgment but there is a proper place for reverence. And also, John is not saying that any anxiety or fear means we are imperfect in love, for we know that in this world we will have trouble. There will be things which will cause anxiety and can bring fear, but our eternal security is not one of them. For Christ has overcome the world that we might have peace and hope and confidence. The believer takes this to heart. To know that we are forgiven for our sin, loved in our weakness, saved by his mercy, destined for fellowship with God, all because we are supremely valued by God, that is to know the perfect love that drives fear away. It is not because of what we've done that we have such confidence before God, but because of what God has done for us. Or as Dave has just sung, what grace is mine to know his breath alive in me. Beneath his wings my wakened soul may soar. All fear can flee for death's dark night is overcome. My Savior lives and reigns forevermore. Well, having given the standard and the security of perfect love, John concludes with the source and calls us to love like him. And our our post-baptism song reminds us that Jesus loves us, which is right and good and true. But John states that it is not just that God loves us, but that he is love. 
And that's what we reflect, not his actions, but his character. William Barclay states it as such. It is the sight of his love which wakens in us the desire to love him as he first loved us and to love our fellow man as he loves them. It's a response of gratitude, one that looks to love God and to love one's neighbor. And, and where have we heard that before? The greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, human love is a response to divine love. For God is the source and origin of perfect love. On our own, as Paul states in his opening chapter of Colossians, we are alienated and hostile in mind. But God reconciles us to be holy and blameless. Our Old Testament passage reminded us that God did so not based on anything in us or something we've done to deserve, but because of his love. So our lives are then motivated not by the fear of his judgment, but the fact of his love. And his love to us becomes his love in us that then displays as love out of us to a world. John has written again and again about God's love, but now he turns his attention to our response. And for the first time, he says, we love. Now, in a, in a very practical sense, these last 12 months have been a great challenge to us. But we've also been provided with incredible opportunities. For our pandemic has opened a myriad of ways that we can love our neighbor, that we can love like God because he first loved us. And so continue to actively look for ways to love even, even the unlovable asking God to give you strength as you serve, that you might have his reflective love. For God tells us that we will love others to the extent that we have experienced his love. A God-like love for others is the rule, not the exception. So how do we do that? Reflect perfect love. Human effort? intestinal fortitude? No. Abiding in him, branches in the vine supported by his great love. Well, John, in this short section of his uh, great letter, has supported the reminder that we should not fear whether God loves us. And he's done so with childlike simplicity. Effectively, he's called us to remember our ABCs. First, we see that God is the standard of perfect love as we abide in him. A, B, C. Assurance begets confidence. And then we noted that God is the security of perfect love, for we are fearless by him. D, E, F. Doctrine eliminates fear. And finally, God is the source of perfect love, and we love like him. G, H, I. God-honoring imitation. Can we say more? J-K-L, 
just no love. That's as far as I got. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, since you go nowhere by accident, walk on in confidence and full assurance as his beloved child, not fearing the world, the flesh, or the devil, but reflecting the hope, the grace, and the love of the gospel. For loved by him, we abide in him, that we may love like him, no matter the circumstances or situations, knowing that he is with us. And therefore, we will not fear. Let us pray. Our incredibly gracious Heavenly Father, we take time now in the quietness of our hearts to thank you for your word and its reminder that as your children, we are your beloved. Sinful, broken, and fallen as we are, we unswervingly hold to you knowing you love us. And so as we leave this morning with the hope of the gospel and the confidence of your love, we ask for wisdom and discernment, knowing ourselves blessed to be a blessing. And so give us healthy eyes to see, hearts of undivided devotion and hands ready to help, that we make the most of every opportunity before us. To you be the glory and honor and dominion and power before all time and evermore. Amen.